0: So last week, uh, we began this study um, kind of reflecting on death. We looked at a couple of different places. We kind of began in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, specifically, we were looking there at verse 26, um, where we kind of uh, set, the, set the, the stage here with the understanding that ultimately, death is an enemy of us all, and that Christ is um, certainly going to um, defeat death at his final coming. So when we consider death and the certainty of death for us in our lives, for those everyone here that we that we know and love, um, that we understand that. Um, when we mourn in death, we do not mourn as those without hope, and we'll ultimately see that when we get uh, into First Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, hopefully today, we'll see, um, but last week we kind of stopped, um, and, and I'd mentioned that we would be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 6 uh, through 8 today when we got started back up, but... Um, Blake had uh, we had an interesting conversation after class last week that had me thinking. Um, so I'm going to shift, and we're going to. Um, so we the plan last week was that we were going to look at um, Acts chapter uh, 20 verse 24, um, and then kind of from there start pivoting into a in, into a different direction, looking at um, the way that we ought to think about death, and looking at. Um, how practically um, we tend to respond and ought to respond um, to death, and eventually we would kind of loop back into Acts chapter 20, looking at verses 37 and 38. But um, Blake had mentioned something that it's—I uh, think it's—it's it's important for us to um, take into consideration, specifically given like um, so. For our generation, um, there was a particular there's a particular pastor John Piper who um, in the early 2000s, I believe it was early 2000s um, preached a sermon and you could go find this sermon. I would most certainly recommend that you go listen to this sermon. It is um, a generation shaping type of type of sermon and it, I think it certainly had um, an impact like that for the generation of of young people who heard it then Um, you can find it on youtube if you just do john piper seashells you will find um, this sermon it's weird that it would be John Piper, right but there's a particular story that he tells in there regarding like a life well lived and um, he gives an example of some missionaries that died on the mission field Um, and then he gives an example of People who lived and and literally like captured the American dream and made it into retirement and um, spent their last days like living what would be for all of us like I think. Like a dream ending, right? Like you got no stresses, you're you're finishing every evening like with a walk on the beach and and he tells the story of these people who are collecting seashells and it literally made it into like the Reader's Digest because he's showing the Reader's Digest, right? And he's comparing the two, like the idea being is like which life was a life finished well? Was a life... Like we would look at a young life of missionaries dying on the mission field, and you would say, "Man, they—they they like they were chopped down in their youth, or you know, like man, if they'd only had more years ahead of them, um, then what what could they have what could they have done?" And and you look at that and you think, "Man, there's something that's that's missing, right?" Like like. There's something that seems like it came up short in that. And then when we think about the way that we tend to want to live our lives is we want to have relative ease, we want to make it to old age, and then we want to just like slide on out right, um, with no real stress, living on the beach, that kind of thing. And then we stand before God, and he kind of makes the, uh, makes the point there like how silly it would be to stand before God um, like, hey, look at my seashell collection right and and the point that he makes in that sermon series that is so impactful is that like there will be a day where we stand before God and give account of the lives that we've lived right and because of that ought we not consider how to live those lives well and to the end right so as we were talking um, last week, Blake and I, the, the, like, there comes out of that, there are, there are these, um, I think, risks for believers who genuinely want to finish well, um, misplacing what it looks like to run well. Right? And then, um, faith, faith kind of m- mentioned in passing last week, like, how does, how does this idea, how does this understanding, um, help shape us in, like, the mundane things of life, like changing your child's diapers, right? Like, how does, how do I live well, but today I've got to change diapers, right? Like, how does that changing of diapers, um, Reflect on that. I'm standing before God. Uh, is a di- like, where on the spectrum does diapers and seashells fall? <laughs> right? Like, which is like, like if I, if I, if, if you, if mothers, if you were to get to, to heaven and you had died and your hands full of dirty diapers before God, how does that reflect related to like, Um, other things like you finish your life and you were collecting seashells, right? And I think um, as we consider this, as we consider what it is to live a life um, well-lived, that what we will see is that what oftentimes we might consider to be the life well-lived, right? Like when we tend to think about that, we tend to think about that missionary couple that died on the mission field. Now, was that a life well-lived? Yes. What about the mother who finds out today that she had cancer and that she may not change all the diapers of her child? That she she may leave her husband to finish that task? Right? Like there are stories of mothers dying young. There are stories of fathers dying young. Perhaps they weren't on the mission field. So can they still live a life that would glorify God? Does it, does it have to end with like being cut down early in South Africa or in the Congo or name your, name your land afar off? Does it have to look like that? Yes. Father, paternal grandfather. Like they didn't know that they were raising these kids to
1: be like the evangelists that they were gonna be, but they were.
0: Yeah. And the only reason that they are is because they showed them Jesus. And they were purposeful and they had an intention in the lives that they were living, right? that is the key here now i want us to we're going to look we're going to we're going to look through acts chapter 20 we're going to start at verse 24 and we're going to go through the end of the chapter but before we do um, i want us to flip to uh, mark chapter 6 and i'm going to read a little bit here so this is jesus Um, he's at nazareth and he is he is rejected here, Okay? Um, I want us to pay particular attention when we get to verse 3, but I'm going to start in verse 1. Okay? So uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 1. He went away from there and came to his hometown. So these are people who knew him. Right? And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began teaching in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hand? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So he's in his hometown. Jesus is in his hometown. Roughly early 30s, Right? And when Jesus comes teaching, preaching, when we see in the New Testament the earthly ministry of Jesus, we catch him in his 30s. Now we get a couple of little glimpses along the way, right? Birth, um, young boy. and then we get, for the most part, Jesus in adulthood. His earthly ministry is started. But here's what we can glean from this. He comes to his hometown. He's lived what, by all appearances, is a typical normal life, right? How can we know this from this text? Because when they see him coming, teaching, and preaching in power, doing these great works, what do they say? Oh, I saw it in him when he was a teenager. Don't you remember that time? Oh, when he was in his early 20s, I remember those times. What do they say? What do they say about the Son of God who in every action that he ever took from birth to death through the resurrection never failed in any way to glorify God completely and perfectly? What do they say about him? Isn't that the carpenter? Isn't that the carpenter? So what we can know is he worked. So when you go to work, when you go to work, when you are a point, when you are on the grind tomorrow, and to you it seems mundane, here's the reality is that a life well lived in that moment will not fail to glorify God completely. Do you look at the mundane tasks of every day in that way. Because if Jesus was with you, washing the dishes, changing the diapers, getting your kids ready for school, picking them up, if He was with you, He would in no way fail to glorify God living what would appear to many to be a normal life. You can glorify God in every moment of your life. Do you seek it with all of your heart? This is a primary difference between the way that we tend to live our lives and the way that Christ lived His life. Right? We tend to live our lives thinking about self, not thinking about the glory of God in the moment in which we find ourselves. Am I right? So when you think about how it is that you live, ultimately, knowing that one day you will stand before God, and the labor of this life is what you will have to offer up. The reason that seashells fail so miserably in comparison to the life lived on the mission field is because one is nothing. The other is everything. Right? Now when you go into your work, do you seek to glorify God in everything that you do there? Do you? Do you work as though you're working for the Lord? Because if you do, whether you're doing it and a hundred people see you on that day, or whether you're doing it And you're in a cubicle somewhere and only you and God know. You can be certain that even when you are alone there, you can glorify Him in the efforts that you put forward. That when you do your job, your kingdom come, Lord. Your kingdom come. It is about where you're looking as you're doing the work. Not the work itself, and and when we think about how death shapes the way that we look at these realities, we understand it a little bit better. That's why when I say when I give you an example of the mother who yesterday it was a pain to change diaper after diaper after diaper, and then she realizes that tomorrow might be her last. Oh, how smelly diapers! take a different direction altogether right when you think it might be your last oh how the mundane things of life look different when you think it might be your last here's the reality the breath that you have in your lungs you have no control over how many more you will get you have no control over how many more days you will live. So when you understand that you might stand before Him tomorrow or even today, it will shape the way that you look at the moment. Do you live as though you are pouring your life out to Him? Or do you live as though you have a thousand more ahead of you. Right? Do you live as though this moment matters because in this moment you can glorify God? Or does this moment not matter and you just want to rush through this day to get to the next? This is how when we consider death, the reality of death, that it can shape every Action that we have because we have a a limited number of moments whether it's days that we live whether it's years that we live it is limited nonetheless so not knowing whether we have today only or whether we have hundreds more ahead of us we ought to live as though tomorrow we will stand before God what will our hands be filled with? So let's go back now considering that Jesus living all these years in no way failed to glorify God and yet he was just considered the carpenter's son and let's list off the family that we know, right? That was the life that he lived for the majority of it. He lived it completely glorifying God. So, Let's go back to Acts. We're going to look at Acts chapter 20. We're going to read um, in Acts chapter 20 starting at 24. And then we'll go through the end here. Acts chapter 20 starting in verse 24. We're going to go through 38. We're going to look at a couple of different places here. So if you're taking notes, I want to point out a couple of verses um, ahead of time so that you can kind of underline them, highlight them, just make note of of the ones to pay close attention to. So we're going to look here at verse 24. We're going to look uh, specifically at verse 25. We're going to look at verse 32. We're going to look at 34. And 35, and then we're going to look at 37 and 38. And I want us to pay attention to uh, the details that we find here. So, uh, here we have, um, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only that I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So when you're living your life, are you living your life focused on the gospel of grace? When you're interacting with your children, when you're interacting with your friends, when you're interacting with your co-workers, are you considering the bigger picture, the importance of the gospel of grace? That this life ultimately will end for us all, and on that day, the thing most important will be our response to this gospel of grace. So all your labors, if not laboring towards God's grace through the gospel to all, would be in vain. And now, verse 25, And now, behold, I know that... That none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see me again. Um, So I wanted us to stop and think about this here. So these are people that he's ministered to. These are lives that he's uh, poured into here. And what he's telling them is on this side, you will not see me again. Right? You won't see me on this side. Now we're going to see their natural response to this later in the text. Um, As we as we press on, but I want us to see here um, this underlying um, understanding that um, death is in this interaction, whether or not they ever said, hey, like I'm going to die and you're like they know it. They know when he says that they're not going to see him again what that means, right? So it's here whether or not he specifically says death or whether or not he just alludes to death. Um, his understanding of what's coming is kind of, uh, layered into this, uh, layered into this. Dialogue here. Verse 26. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So consider in your lives the way that you are um, interacting with others and how it is that you... Um, uh, present the gospel in the way that you live in the words that you say in the in the scripture that you share um in your day-to-day lives with others uh verse 28 pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the holy spirit has made you overseers to care for the church which he obtained with his own blood i know that after my departure Fierce wolves will come in among you, not spearing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw, draw away the disciples after himself. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, day or night, admonishing or to admonish everyone with tears. <clears throat> um, does this mean that that um, every single moment he was in a pulpit preaching? Um No, and we're going to see in a little bit that he labored with his hands. Um, so it would have been hard for him to labor to eat and also have been in the pulpit simultaneously. But you can share the gospel. You can admonish even if you're not standing in a pulpit, right? Verse 32, So all of this, can you see when he's considering death, he's considering the labor that he's put forward, right? The labor among the people that he's been with, his concern for them, his knowing that when he's gone, others will come. Like this is a war that we are a part of, and he is well aware that when he is gone, there will be those that come in to try to destroy the work that he's been laboring tirelessly towards. Where does he place his hope? For that, not failing ultimately. Verse 32. And now I commend you to God, so He trusts God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. What is the what is the hope that He leaves them in? God and the gospel. God and the Word of God. He ultimately knows that. So when we are living, when you're living your, your life day to day, where does the Word of God play into this? Where does the Word of God play into your life? Verse 33, I covet no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities to those who are with me and to those who are with me. What is he saying right here? What is he saying right here? That a part of this three years where he is pouring the gospel out to him, what is he also doing? Working. He's working. We ought to consider this. When we consider that question like, how is it that I can live a life that fully glorifies God? And we think, don't we though? Don't we think that that like there are parts of our lives that are separated from the holy parts, right? There are the things that we have to do to live, and then there are the godly things. Like we, we act as if we act as if work came after the fall, but it did not. Work preexisted the fall. The toiling. <laughs> came afterwards. The thorns and thistles came afterwards, but work was always good. So when you go into your workplaces, do you consider that? Do you consider that you can be ministering in those places? You can be ministering in your homes. In all things I've shown you, that by working hard in this way, we must keep or help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And here we see, like he's laboring in the gospel, no doubt he's preaching, no doubt there are times that he's behind a pulpit, or no doubt there are times that he's standing out, proclaiming the word of God, and yet other times he is working with his hands, he's doing so. All of this work, all of this energy, focused on the glory of God. This is how we ought to live. When we go into our workplaces, it ought to shape and change the way that we do that we do daily life. And part of that, it enables us to be givers. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So when you go into your workplaces, do you consider that the labor of that day is something that you will be able to, to give to others knowing that your time is short? Knowing that your time is short. Verse 36, And when he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. I think we see a pattern here of a life well lived. Okay, It does not exclude those moments that look those moments that we romanticize where we go into the mission field. It does not exclude those. It includes those completely. But that week or months or days is not the totality of our lives, right? Our lives include every single moment, including the mundane, including those like, okay, we're changing diapers today or we're schooling children Today, Or we're raising kids today. Right? It includes all of that. And it is critically important for us to understand that we have this moment. Let's live this moment to glorify God in all that we do. Because one day death comes for us. But, and we're going to to cover this next week. Um, That is not the end. Right? And that's ultimately like we can labor each and every day knowing that our labors are not in vain. The energy that we spend is not forgotten. Right? You loving your children well in all situations, in all moments, is not overseen. Right? You laboring tirelessly in your workplace for the glory of God is not overseen it's not those things that seem mundane apart from god perhaps they would be but the fact that you can glorify him in those things elevates them to another level of significance for us we will we will end there next week we'll come back um, we'll look at Second Timothy um, chapter four, verse six through eight, and then um, we've got a couple of more places that we'll that we'll touch on after that. Let's pray.